100 tonight for a few moments. I don't know about you. I imagine I do know, though. I'm so thankful God is an anchor in my life. I'm glad he's an anchor of hope for my soul when it feels unsure, when it feels unsteady, for times when everything feels like it's falling apart. And then I'm thankful that he's still the anchor for my soul even when there are times when I feel like I have it all together because sometimes I'm tempted to be self-confident and I'm tempted to think that my sufficiency is in myself. But scripture reminds us that our sufficiency is of God. And that's uh, the reliability of God, that he's always the anchor for our souls. And for that we give him praise and we give him thanks And as we look to Psalm 100, we're looking at a psalm of thanksgiving. In fact, uh, here it's called a psalm of praise, or sometimes it's called the Old Hundredth, or I've heard it called the Jubilati, which means, oh, be joyful. This is a psalm uh, which is the last in a series of seven psalms which exalts God's sovereignty and emphasizes his kingdom reign. If you were to go through Psalm uh, 95 and 96 and 97, 98 and 99, you'd see the same theme developed in this section of the Psalms, that God is in control, that God is a good God who is to be praised because he is king. We won't look at all of those Psalms this evening. We'll just look at at the capstone Psalm 100, which is probably one of the most uh, famous, if you will, psalms out there. Maybe you memorized Psalm 100 uh, when you were little. I know I memorized Psalm 100 when I was very young, and our children have memorized Psalm 100. And it's right up there with psalms like Psalm 23, right? Psalms that you know by heart, probably. Psalm 1, perhaps, you know by heart. Psalm 121, perhaps, you know by heart. Or maybe if you don't have it memorized, at the very least, it's a very familiar psalm. And it's that way because it's a psalm that ministers to our soul and speaks to our hearts and tells us something firm and solid about God and who he is and why he is to be praised. There's not one word of sadness or conflict in this psalm. Now, one thing I love about the psalms is that they speak very much to human emotions. Just about any emotion that you feel, there's a psalm that corresponds with that. Some are psalms of lament where we see people taking their bitterness and their anger and even their hatred and their questions right to God, and God can handle those things. I've heard people say, don't, don't, ask, don't ever ask God why. Well, I see the psalmist saying a lot of those sort of things. I see him taking all of those questions right to God. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me? Will you forget me forever, Lord? That's a very raw and a very real thing to say to God. And God can handle it, and God even seems to have this modeled for us. And so some psalms are psalms of lament. Many of the psalms are messianic. They speak of Jesus. You think of Psalm 22, where it it details the events of the crucifixion, where they pierced his hands and his feet. In fact, Jesus himself quotes Psalm 22 from the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some psalms are psalms, um, imprecatory psalms, where David is calling down judgment upon his enemies, the enemies of God's kingdom. Some psalms are psalms of praise. This psalm is a psalm of praise, a psalm of thanksgiving, and there's not one word of conflict nor a word of sadness in this psalm. 
It's the only psalm, in fact, bearing this title, a psalm of praise. It's thought to have been written for the purpose of accompanying sacrifices of thanksgiving in the temple. And when we read this psalm, we have to think Old Testament, right? We have to think of going to the temple, and what do they do? They offer sacrifice every year at the Day of Atonement for sin. But on top of that, oftentimes they're required for personal sins to go and offer some sort of a sacrifice to make atonement for a personal sin that they've committed. But there were other times when they would simply go and make some sort of sacrifice just as a way of saying thank you to the Lord for his goodness to them. And it's thought that perhaps this would be a psalm that could be sung in the temple while they're offering a psalm of thanksgiving. It's kind of a just because psalm. Just because you're so good, Lord. Just because you're so great. Do you like to praise the Lord just because of who he is? That's what this psalm does. As we look at this psalm, we see this idea coming up towards us, that we should make a joyful noise of praise to God because of who he is and because of what he's done. And I think that's the theme of Psalm 100, making a joyful noise to the Lord because of who he is and what he's done. Now let's read Psalm 100, and let's look at a few things. Psalm 100, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Notice First of all, there's a call to thanksgiving. The call to thanksgiving. In fact, as we read this psalm, it's only five verses, but in five verses there are seven commands. And that's a lot of commands for five short verses. There are seven commands given that express our need to praise God. The first is found in verse 1, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Now, you've probably heard... uh, that joke, that long-standing joke, uh, that I can't carry a tune in a bucket, but I can make a joyful noise, right? A joyful noise is what you do when you sing in the shower, and it may be off-key, but hey, it's a joyful noise. And we say that because, uh, well, it's, it's uh, funny, and sometimes it's true. But you know, that's really not all that this verse is talking about. It's not just talking about, uh, it's not an imperative for those who are tone deaf, okay? This is actually something much more than that. Um, I don't know if you guys like to watch Disney movies, but I have two children, and so I watch a lot of Disney movies. And I don't always like everything that Disney says and does and believes in, but one of my favorite Disney movies is the old Robin Hood, where Robin Hood is the fox, and uh, Prince John is the lion. And uh, if you haven't seen this, you're really missing out. I'm telling you, deep biblical understanding comes from my my watching of Robin Hood, but uh, I like the movie Robin Hood because, you know, Robin Hood's the underdog, and he is trying his best to hold things together because the true king is gone, isn't he? Richard is gone, 
and Prince John, the wicked, no good, phony king of England, he is there and he is taxing the people to death. He is hurting the nation and Robin Hood is trying to see some sense of justice come about and he's trying to hold things together and I love it because just at the last minute when you think everything has gone wrong and you think for sure Robin Hood is going to get it and you think for sure the bad guy is going to win, something really important happens. The king shows back up. King Richard comes, and he saves the day, and with a glad, glad shout, they all say in unison, Long live King Richard! That's the kind of joyful noise that this verse is talking about. It's talking about a glad shout, such as loyal subjects give when their king appears among them. There's coming a day for the Christian when the king is going to return to this earth. He is coming back. And when he comes back, there's going to be a joyful shout from his people. But even today, prior to his return, we can praise him because of who he is. We can make a joyful noise to our sovereign Lord. The second command here is serve the Lord with gladness. We see that also uh, in verse 2, the first part of verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. We have make a joyful noise and then serve the Lord with gladness. And this refers not to uh, some sort of bondage, but it refers to a joyous and a liberating experience. This is a word that was often used of service in the temple. And again, you have to think Old Testament, where the priests and the Levites were called servants of Jehovah, servants of the Lord. And their job was to serve the Lord. And perhaps as they're offering these sacrifices of thanksgiving, they're reminded to serve the Lord with gladness. You know, uh, it is entirely possible to be a believer and be doing all the right things, so to speak, as far as serving the Lord and be absolutely miserable. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but it's possible to burn yourself out. Uh, it's possible to uh, work yourself into the ground, and it's possible to get to the point where you're just going through the motions and not enjoying any of it. But I would encourage you that if you get to that point in your Christian life, something is wrong. It's not supposed to be that kind of an experience. We're supposed to be able to serve the Lord with gladness. Now, it's not for me to diagnose your heart this morning, tell you exactly or this evening, tell you exactly what is wrong, if that's the case. But I would say... That's an indicator light on your spiritual dashboard that something is wrong. We're supposed to be able to serve the Lord with gladness. And then we see the next command here, come before his presence with singing. And again, the scriptures say a lot uh, about singing hymns, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and making melody in our hearts before the Lord. We are commanded to sing. God's people are a singing People. Christianity is a singing religion. It's unique in that way, that one of the main aspects of our worship is to sing praise to the Lord. And then we're told in verse 4, another imperative here, another command is to enter into his gates with thanksgiving. We've already spoken about the fact that this was probably a, a time when they were offering thanksgiving offerings to the Lord. Oftentimes in the Psalms, you see the psalmist saying that, Lord, if you will deliver me, I will pay my vows. Uh, Psalm 61 talks about this, that I will go and pay my vows to the Lord. 
And what he means is, I'm making a vow, Lord, that if you will deliver me, I will go and offer you thanksgiving in the temple. And upon deliverance, they would go and pay those vows uh, with a thank offering. And so we're told to enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. That's the next command, to enter his courts with praise. And then it says here to be thankful unto him. That's the next command. And the final one is to bless his name. So we see in five verses, seven commands, the basic gist of which is saying this. There is a command to praise. We're told to praise God. We're told to offer thanks to God. There is the call to thanksgiving or the command of thanksgiving, we could call it. But number two, I want us to see the cause of thanksgiving. Why should we be thankful? Well, first of all, because of who God is. It says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. And who is the Lord? I think one of the saddest verses that I find in the Old Testament is when Moses goes before Pharaoh and he says, Thus saith the Lord, let my people go. And the response of Pharaoh is, Who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh? I do not know the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. His ignorance of God actually determined a very sad destiny for Pharaoh. But we are told that we should give a joyful noise unto the Lord. So who is the Lord in this passage? Well, it says in verse 3, first of all, that he is the creator. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. God is the creator. Secondly, it says that he is God. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. I think about this passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 6. I can't help but have my mind fast forward and understanding that because God has created me, I belong to him. But much more beyond that as believers in the New Testament. Think of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. What Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. You belong to Christ. You belong to God. Therefore, honor the Lord both in your body and your soul, which are God's. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and we're his. We belong to him. God has ownership of my life, and that's a reason to give thanks. It's a reason to give thanks because the verse goes on to tell us, number three, that not only is he creator, not only is he God, but he is our Shepherd, See what it says at the end of verse 3? We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. One of the most famous psalms, of course, is Psalm 23, which describes for us exactly what it means when it talks about the fact that God is our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. And on he goes to talk about the tender care of God, our shepherd. And sheep need a lot of tender care. When we were in Nova Scotia, we lived on an island. Uh, 
if you ever look at a map of Nova Scotia in Canada, you can go back there if you want to, and it's kind of shaped like a weird banana, okay? And we lived down here at the very bottom part of Nova Scotia, the north up here, going all the way down to the southwest. Halifax is in the middle, and we were down here at the bottom. And if you look at the very southwestern part of Nova Scotia, you'll see Barrington, Nova Scotia. And if the person who drew the map was especially good, you may be able to see a little island just south of the southernmost tip of Nova Scotia called Cape Sable Island. And if he was really good, you might even be able to see the bridge, the little causeway. And we lived on the southernmost tip of the southernmost point in Nova Scotia. We have a thing for the south, I guess. South Africa, southern Nova Scotia, I don't know. I guess we figured if we were going to be up in the true north, we might as well be in the southern part, amen? And so uh, we lived in, on Cape Sable Island down at the bottom of this little island called the Hawk. They called it the Hawk. That's what the area was called. And it's just a little country area full of lobster fishermen. Had a church of about 75 uh, 80 people, and there was a lighthouse that we could see right out our windows of our house, right off of the island. And you could get in a little dory or a little dinghy, and you could go right out to that lighthouse on that little island where the lighthouse was, and you could walk around, and there were sheep on the island, sheep that didn't actually have a shepherd there full time. And so they were free to roam around, do their thing, and once in a while, I think once a year, they would come over and shear the sheep. They were raising them for wool, and they'd leave them alone for the rest of the year. But the problem is when sheep don't have a shepherd, bad things happen. And so sometimes when we'd go over for fun just to be on the island for a day for a picnic or whatever, and we'd be at the lighthouse and taking pictures, and it's just beautiful, but you'd, you'd see sheep lying on their back. And one time... We walked uh, on the island, we came across a sheep lying on its back. And when a sheep is on its back, it actually can't get up. It's incapable of getting up on its own. And so it's really sad. What happens if they're left to themselves, they just lay there until eventually they go blind, which I think there's some interesting spiritual parallels there. Uh, and they go blind, and then they die. And so, well, being the good Samaritans that we are, we said, we're going to... We're going to do the right thing. We're going to help this sheep. And so we went over, and we, it took a couple of us. It's me and my wife and this really sweet 75-year-old, um, 90-pound lady named Frida. And we went over, and Leah and myself and Frida, we went and we heaved and we hoed, and we got this sheep up on its feet, and the silly thing went running away from us like we were going to hurt it, and he stumbled, and he fell again flat on his back. Dumb sheep. So we went back over again, and we rolled him up. And let me just say without being grotesque that he had been there for a while, and it wasn't a pleasant experience handling dirty, nasty sheep's wool after he'd been laying there for days. And we had to get our hands quite dirty, and we got him up a second time, and up he went, and not even stopping to bleat thank you, he ran away as fast as he could from us. But he was in desperate need of a shepherd, and he didn't even know it. We have a God who looked down at our sinful, wicked condition, realized just how badly we needed a shepherd and how little we even understood or would ever appreciate what he had done for us. Not only did he create us, he sent his son to die for us. And understanding the gospel in the New Testament the way we do changes the way we look at Psalm 23 when it says, The Lord is my shepherd. And it changes the way we look at Psalm 100 when the psalmist says, We are the sheep of his pasture. That's a reason to give thanks for the Lord. He's our creator. He is God. 
He is shepherd. Look at verse 5. He is good. The Lord is good. Aren't you glad he's good? Because if he were all-powerful and all-knowing and in control, but he were bad, we'd be in trouble. But he's good. He is merciful. His mercy is everlasting. The word mercy here is a beautiful word in the Hebrew. It's the word chesed. And it has the idea of loyalty, covenant, faithfulness. God loves his people. He's loyal to his people. And that loyalty is everlasting until forever, until always. And he is truthful. He's full of integrity. His truth endures to all generations. He is faithful to us. We can give thanks because of who God is. And so we see, number one, the call to thanksgiving. And then secondly, we see the cause for thanksgiving. But thirdly, I'd like us to see the courts of thanksgiving. See here in verse 4, it tells us to enter into his gates with thanksgiving into his courts with praise. And once again, I'd encourage you that we have to think Old Testament, don't we? We have to think about the fact that they didn't come to a church. They went to a temple. Their bodies were not the temple, as our body is now the temple of the Holy Ghost. But they went to a temple. And when they went to the temple, they had to go through the gates. And as they went through the temple gates, they were then in the courtyard. And they were told that this was the entrance where they would go and see God in that sacred space that God had carved out. And they could go and visit God in that temple or prior to David in the tabernacle. The court was an enclosed area surrounded by the gate. It was about 150 feet by 75 feet. Inside the court there was a brazen altar There was a laver for washing, and then there was the tent or the building, the temple itself, depending on what era we're talking about, which contained the holy place. And then behind the curtain, the holy of holies, the most holy place where God lived. And God's people are told that you can enter into these gates with thanksgiving. You can enter into these courts with praise. You can come into the presence of God, and you can stand in the sacred space and be near the divine, and you can do it joyfully and not fearfully because of the kind of God that we have. And we are told to enter into those gates with praise. It's a picture of the temple, a picture of the tabernacle. And there's a place of sacrifice I find it interesting that at the end of verse 3, it says that we are what? The sheep of his pasture. And then at verse 4, it tells us to enter into his gates and into the courts. So do you see the connection here? Here we are, the sheep, entering into the temple space. Now I ask you, friends, what does a sheep have any business doing in the temple? The only reason that I can see a sheep being in the temple is if he's going to be sacrificed. If I'm the sheep and I'm going to the temple, this is probably bad news. You know what it's like. I have a dog, and there's a certain way that I talk to my dog when we're going for a walk. I say, come on, Willow, let's go. We're going for a walk. Come on, we're going for a walk. And the dog's all excited, and we're going to the park, and we're going for a walk, and that's really great. But then there's the day where I have to say, come on, Willow, going to the vet. Oh, it's not the same thing when you're going to the vet. And somehow the dog seems to know when I'm taking her to the vet. She has a different disposition. She gets nervous. kind of makes me nervous. It makes you wonder what they know about us sometimes. How did you know I was taking you to the vet? Probably my tone of voice. But when you get that dog in the vet, it's amazing. That dog that's full of life can, can run and jump, can outpace me. Fastest dog I've ever seen. But when I get her in the vet, 
she digs her feet in and I'm dragging her into the vet. She knows something's not going to, something good is not going to happen. Something bad is going to happen when I go to the vet. They're going to give me a shot. They're going to give me surgery. It's just not good. If I'm a sheep and I'm going into the temple, I'm probably a little bit worried. What business does a sheep have in the temple only to be a sacrifice? And this would indeed be bad news for the sheep in the Old Testament, but we're New Testament believers, aren't we? And there's a greater sheep. There's a greater lamb who has come, and he has taken away the sin of the world, and he has been the sacrifice once and for all on the altar, and he has said, it is finished. And now as a sheep of God, there is no more veil. My body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and I have communion with God because of the person of Christ. Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. And then fourthly and finally, as I close, I see what I call the commission in thanksgiving. The commission in thanksgiving. We saw the command and the cause and the courts, but now I see the commission. And it's back in verse 1. Because it says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. You say, some missionary he is. He doesn't talk at all about missions. Well, here it is. There's a commission that I see. And it's not spelled out explicitly for us as the church in this passage, but I think it's implied because God's purpose has always been that he would be glorified, that his name would be magnified, that he would be great in the whole earth. Even in the Old Testament, you see this mission of God to make himself known to the uttermost parts of the world, to the nations, to the heathen, it's called in certain places. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord Israel. Yes, but not just Israel. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord here in Georgia. Yes, but not just here in Georgia. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all the earth, all ye lands. There's a commission here, even in Psalm 100, and it's given to us, and as believers, we can't help but fast forward and think of Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go ye, therefore, and teach who? All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded thee, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. That's why we are going to South Africa, friends. We're not going for ourselves. Yes, we're going to plant churches, but you know, primarily we're going to make the name of the Lord great in South Africa. We're going to make the name of the Lord known in Nisna. That is our mission. And you know, it's really not all that different from the mission that you have here to make the Lord's name known in your neck of the woods. How are you doing when it comes to making a joyful noise unto the Lord in your land for your family members and your friends and your young people, your children and your grandchildren? Are you making his name known? Are you making his name famous? Are you making his name great? Are you magnifying him for who he is? You see here in Psalm 100, we have even a glimpse of the Great Commission. We're privileged to be able to go to South Africa. We are looking forward to going. As I said, we're hoping to go in June. And to be honest with you, we want to be there yesterday. We can't wait to get there and get started. 
And we're thankful for what the Word's called us to. And aren't you thankful for what the Word has called all of us to as believers in Christ? Let's make a joyful noise to the Lord. I'll close in prayer, and then I'll invite you at the end of the service. Please come back and uh, take a glimpse at our table. Uh, you're welcome to go look at anything you want. You can't break it. Uh, there is a rain stick back there, kids, so please don't shake that. If you don't want rain, your parents will be mad. But other than that, you can touch anything you want. And if your blood sugar has dropped, some of you, uh, we have a can of uh, ostrich meat. But if you open it, please buy me another one. Uh, emergencies only. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, that you are creator and you are God, but you are good. And you are our shepherd and when we were lost and blind, not even wanting a shepherd, yet you intervened. You sent your Son to be the Lamb of God to take away our sin. And we can enter freely into your presence. We can, so to speak, enter into your courts with thanksgiving and praise. And we can be thankful because of what you've done. And Lord, you've given us a commission to make your name known to all the lands. You've called my family to South Africa. And Lord, you've called 